Untitled Missouri Sports Podcast. Ian, uh, you went to Columbia this weekend. Yeah, yeah, it was an awesome weekend. I got to visit my my girlfriend's brother. He uh, is currently a sophomore at Mizzou, just recently moved down there. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Really cool campus. Um, it's a journalism school, so it's very trendy in a way. Uh, the Just the scenery and everything's really cool. A lot of hills. Uh, which is interesting because as you're coming in, you're, you're coming, you're basically coming in with like a bunch of cornfields and you're in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And then you just come upon uh, Columbia and then there's just Hills everywhere. And it's, and it's honestly pretty beautiful, but um, I really enjoyed the school. And I feel like I do this every time that I visit a school down South. I'm like, damn dude, I kind of wish I would have went there or like, I wish I would apply it or something like that, but cause it was just so cool. The environment was awesome. Their, their Greek life houses are like literally across the street from the football field. Like you can see the field, like the stands from like all the houses and it's just very intertwined. It's, it has like a small town feel to it as well. So it's like, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. That's actually pretty cool, but it does have like a big, big 12 feel to it. Cause obviously it was in the big 12, uh, not even that long ago. So <clears throat> you're not really getting like an sec vibe when you go there more, more so, more so big 12, but uh, very cool. I was there on Saturday when they played Georgia, we were at a, we were at a bar uh, just hanging out and the game was on. Everybody was walking around in, in Mizzou gear. Uh, that was the coolest part of the day because Mizzou got absolutely slaughtered on the field, but um, good stuff there. So yeah, I overall had a great time, really enjoyed it. And um, honestly looking forward to going back. That's awesome. Um, not not really the same thing, but I went to Kansas City last year and uh, I, you know, Kansas City is kind of a pro. It's a Chiefs town, really. Chiefs and Royals. Yeah. And, but when you kind of go as we do, because we're kind of college sports fans first and then our I feel like our pro sports interests kind of bleed in. But uh, I kind of I was interested to get the vibe around Kansas City of, uh, you know, what the major what the big team was. So I went to, uh, you know, I think it was a sports authority and, um, you know, I was just kind of looking around and uh, their their college apparel section was very diverse. Uh, lots of Kansas, Kansas State stuff, uh, some Iowa State stuff, which I was a little surprised by, but lots of Missouri stuff, too. I think, you know, the whole state of Missouri is a very uh, interesting state when it comes to uh you know just kind of geography overall and uh you know college college sports uh two the two biggest cities in missouri are both on opposite ends of the state that kind of make you think more about other states than missouri obviously kansas city has kansas in the name and then st mm-hmm. is, is uh kind of illinois um uh, in a way. So, um, very interesting state, but, uh, I, I kind of want to hijack the beginning of our podcast here to, to uh, you know, talk about uh, Missouri. Um, and so I actually have kind of a, a list of the state of Missouri, both the state of Missouri's, um, highest ranked recruits and, uh, the Missouri Tigers highest ranked recruits. So I just kind of want to run through some of these with you and, uh, I'm not going to make you guess cause that would be way too, uh, way too difficult, but uh, I just kind of want to read some of these off to you and uh, get your thoughts. So uh, I want to start off with uh, kind of the first year I got into the NFL draft. Um, I really, really, the, uh, the position I focused on the most was receiver. And I watched a lot of highlights of this guy from, from Missouri. His name was Doriel Green Beckham. Are you familiar with yes. him? Yes. Yeah. yeah. He's the other, the other, uh, the other Beckham last name yeah. wide receiver that got a lot of buzz, honestly, coming out of college. Uh, kind of fell off a little bit, but yeah. yeah, yeah, very familiar. Yeah. So he was actually the highest ranked recruit to ever come out of the state of Missouri. He was a five star, um, and he was the highest ranked recruit that uh, the Missouri Tigers signed, and. Uh, you know, he was on the team for two years and uh, he was actually dismissed from the team. He transferred to Oklahoma, but he never played it down for them. Um, ended, entered the draft, 2015 draft, entered uh, draft in the second round by the Titans, uh, 40th overall. He actually scored touchdowns on his first two NFL receptions. Uh, so had a decent rookie year with the Titans. I think that was the year they drafted Murray, but I'm not hundred percent. Um, but, uh, he got traded to the Eagles in 2016 and, uh, then they waived him in 2017. Uh, I think there's a lot of off the field drug, uh, stuff with him came from a rough family and really didn't, didn't seem like he was ever able to escape that. But, uh, 
pretty interesting uh pretty interesting kid like i like i hadn't heard his name in a long time and when i like was doing this research i looked him up i like my face lit up because like oh my gosh Mm -hmm. i remember that guy so um pretty cool so some other names that i want to list off to you um that are pretty interesting you know josh freeman was a was a missouri kid was he really yeah, he's from he's from this obviously Josh Freeman from Missouri. He went to Kansas State, but uh, that was uh, he was class of two thousand six. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, I've I've noticed a lot of these really highly ranked recruits that come out of uh, the state usually sign with Missouri. Um, Blaine Gabbert, two thousand eight. Another one. There yep. we go. Uh, another quarterback, which is a lot more familiar, Drew Locke, twenty fifteen. That's pretty nice. Oh, also, I want to I want to hop back in for a sec. Uh, speaking of like really good recruits that are wide receivers going to Missouri, uh, Luther Burden is in class of 22 and he is the number one uh, player in the state of Illinois going to Mizzou, a five star wide receiver, uh, second ranked positionally by 24 seven sports. So, hey, uh, could have some more wide receiver talent in Mizzou coming up coming up soon. He just he just committed, and it's interesting um, because he's from Illinois. Uh, I've got a, I've got a soundbite from Coach uh, Eli Drinkwitz. Uh, he considers the entire St. Louis and Kansas City metro areas to be in-state territory for the Tigers, which I think is interesting. Um, uh, so that kind of crosses over the borders of Illinois and Kansas uh, for the Tigers. But that's interesting because um, Luther comes from uh, East St. Louis, Illinois, where uh, Missouri was able to pluck another five-star kid a couple of years ago, uh, Terry Beckner Jr. Um, I don't think he panned out to be anything in the NFL. I think he's a free agent now, but another another five-star. So it's it's interesting that Mizzou is kind of able to develop, you know, pipelines for kids in uh, other states. I, I don't think you can really say that for a lot of other programs. But don't right. cheat because there's a couple interesting ones that I want to want to want to tell you about really quick. Uh, Couple defensive linemen, uh, Sheldon Richardson in 2009, and then Coney Ely in 2010. I totally forgot that. Uh, I guess forgot that Sheldon Richardson was ever in college, but uh, it was Missouri. So yeah, totally forgot about that too. I feel like a lot of players that come out of Missouri are kind of for for like you forget that they're from Missouri. Other than like the the big ones right now is like Drew Locke, you know. But yeah. the other ones you totally do. Oh yeah. Um. So these next, these next two guys, um, I want to give you some hints here. You might be able to guess them, maybe. Um, one of them, class of 2013, four-star, four starting NFL running back presently. Can I get a, can I get a conference? Big, he went to a program in the Big Ten. He is this, class of twenty thirteen. This, this is, and mind you, this is a. Um, these are Missouri kids that went out of state. Out sure. of state, okay. All right. Um, starting NFL running back. Let's see. Mm. I'm lost on this one going that far back. Was he was, you said he was, was he drafted in 13 or was he? I, so I, I'm going off like the 24 seven page. I'm assuming these years are their graduating class of high school. Okay. So that class of 2013 um, for. Is it JK Dobbins? No. Hmm. Don't think too hard about it if that was your first guess. Yeah, no, I'm not sure. I'm a little lost. Who is it? It was, it was Zeke. It was Zeke? Zeke's yeah. from Missouri. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Um, I didn't know that. I was pretty surprised. Uh, so then this I would next, not have guessed that, honestly. This, this next one, I don't think you're going to be able to guess because uh, he's in college now and be harder to guess. But uh, Jameson Williams is from Missouri. Wow. So okay. He, he started at Ohio State, obviously transferred to Alabama, and looks mm-hmm. like you know the next great Alabama receiver. But that's pretty interesting. And then obviously we've got to mention uh, Jason Tatum, who uh, I think came from St. St. Louis area. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 
I didn't look it up. I don't think Michael Porter came from inside Missouri. He just went there. Yeah, I don't. I think I think he was I think he's from L.A. Could be wrong. Don't quote me. But I definitely out of state. Yeah, but um, really interesting, really interesting program. Uh, I bought a Missouri shirt when I was in Kansas City, just because like I try. I think you try to do that too. Like every place you go, you try and grab yeah. like, a souvenir or something. So a hat, uh, a hat, a shirt, a sweatshirt, something. Yeah, you know? so I think I have, I have enough, uh, you know, Nike school apparel to get me through like maybe two weeks at the gym. And I, I was thinking about it today. Like I, I, I think I wore my Missouri shirt yesterday, wore an A&M shirt last week. Like I'm sure everybody else like is trying to wonder like where the hell I went to school. <laughs> keep uh, misdirection. Exactly. Um, so you said something interesting, you know, Missouri is an SEC school, but uh, the campus gave you a big 12 vibe. Obviously Missouri was in the big 12 at one point left for the SEC. Like, what do you think this program can be and should be? Because right when they joined the SEC, I think they went to two straight SEC championship games. Um, yeah, they came out pretty hot from what yeah, I remember. They, they uh, Their biggest rival, I believe, in the Big 12 was Kansas. Uh, Kansas and Missouri played the border war every year. That was their big rivalry game, played at Arrowhead in, in Kansas City, which would be really cool if that kind of game came back, especially Super that, cool. in, in that venue. Um, but – I think I think they're the big rival that they're trying to push in the SEC is uh, Arkansas, just because that's that's who they play the last in their last game of the year. So that yeah, um, but yeah. Uh, what do you th- what do you think like the like having been on campus and like seeing it like what do you think this program can be? I think there's a lot of potential here. I think a lot of SEC schools kind of mimic each other in a lot of different ways in terms of the vibes that they give and like what they can offer. Um, I think Mizzou is different though, because of it's one, it's location and two, like it's focus around journalism and being a more liberal school in the sec, which is, which is something that, you know, is, is not very common over there. Um, which can be seen by a lot of people as like a negative, but in my opinion, it might be a positive because it can be like, you know, like it, it can be kind of its own thing in the sec, which can be cool. Uh, I think a cool little, like, rivalry that could emerge soon could be Mizzou and Oklahoma. I think that could be pretty cool. Once Oklahoma enters the sec, if they happen to be on the same side of the division and play each other every year, you know, maybe they can do that same thing where they play at arrowhead, um, you know, and, and figure something out there. But um, I think there's a lot of potential for Missouri, honestly. I mean, I think their facilities are great. I think the way that the campus is set up makes sense. Um, the dorms are, are, the dorms are honestly awesome. And it looks like a school that is going to attract a lot of kids in the coming years. Um, it just needs to start finding its niche and, uh, and attacking it better and and becoming more of a bigger brand. Um, you know, one thing I want them to do is kind of rebrand, honestly, not, not necessarily rebrand, but just get different logos because, you know, they, they're a little forgettable. You know, there's two other tigers in the sec, uh, LSU and Auburn. And you just kind of forget about the fact that like Mizzou is also the Tigers because, you know, honestly, their, their logo isn't very good and uh, it just doesn't look that great. And then on the, on the flip side of that, their alternate logo is like the big M, you know, right. but, but the big M is like, if you think big M, you think Michigan, not Mizzou. Right. So I think, and, but they have this whole thing going with like, they're the Tigers. They call themselves like Mizzou. They're, they're, you know, their stadium is the zoo um i think there's a lot they can do there making it like this very like trendy up and coming cool place to go in the sec where you get sort of that south mm-hmm. feel but you also have the four seasons and you're a little more north so um yeah. i became a fan after just going there yeah because one of the other rivalries that missouri has that i think is going to be you know more popular in basketball is uh, illinois um i think Illinois was highly ranked last year and Missouri upset them. And I think that was a really big win for Missouri just because, you know, people forget that Missouri and Illinois are bordering States, but um, I think, I think they can build up a lot of rivalries um, in the new uh, sec, because as you pointed out, like Oklahoma is an old big 12 rival coming over into the sec. And I think there's absolutely you know, an opportunity to have like a big game vibe around, uh, I think 
in the first few years of them being in the Big 12 um, in the SEC, I think there's going to be a lot of big game vibes around all these Oklahoma and Texas games. But I think yeah. Missouri especially because there is a history of both these teams being very good in like Sam Bradford era at, um, at Oklahoma and, you know, the games being competitive. So I agree. Missouri, Missouri is interesting. I just pulled up actually their basketball schedule um, and they open tonight. As and, do a lot of college football teams, by the way. But guess, guess who Missouri's opening uh, night game is against in basketball? Oklahoma. Oh, no. No. Uh, hmm. Illinois? Bama? CMU Chips, baby. Oh, actually, is it really? Yeah. How the fuck do I not know that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, no, but I think there's, there's opportunity there, but kind of, kind of the thing that, that they need to focus on too, is, you know, a lot of these other sec schools are kind of nailing it when they, when they're getting good at both basketball and football at the same time, we've talked about that before, um, kind of getting that triangle of multiple sports, putting it together at the right time. And, you know, I think if Mizzou is going to be competitive in the sec, I think they also need to build a very good basketball program as well. Um, so I think that's part of the equation. And, you know, if they can figure something like that out as they get, you know, build some more prominence in the SEC, I think they'll find themselves in a pretty cool situation in a couple of years once uh, the SEC grows even larger. Yeah. And the other thing to point out, like, obviously they recruit the entire St. Louis and Kansas City metro areas. But like both of those cities are large cities that don't really have an identity with a college team. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Madison, Wisconsin is Wisconsin. Wisconsin, like Ann Arbor, East Lansing, like they're very distinct college towns. And like, you know, Atlanta, Atlanta is an SEC, like it, I guess you could debate it because Atlanta is where the SEC title game is, but also Georgia Tech is there. And like, you know, some it, either of these cities suffer from like oh, Atlanta is also big enough to do that. Yeah. Because what I'm trying to say is like either cities suffer from like an oversaturation of like, okay, we've got the ACC, we've got the SEC. And like, I think, so kind of to back up on my own point here, the big 12 hosts their basketball tournament in Kansas city. But like, I just feel like it's, there's no real, it's both of these, both of these cities are just a very big melting pot of schools. And, you know, if Missouri is good, will those cities flip to being more Mizzou prominent? I don't know, but mm-hmm. it's just, it's interesting to point out that you're, you're challenged by having the biggest cities in your state be more melting pots than where you're, you're the established brand. Right. I mean, Mizzou is, is literally in the absolute middle of the state. And then both, both, uh, both cities are on the outside and it's just right in the middle between both cities. If you were to drive from Kansas city to, uh, to St. Louis, you would drive straight through Columbia. Um, so, I mean, the other thing too, is Mizzou is also battling a lot of professional sports teams that have recently been very good. Um, you know, obviously the chiefs are there. And so, you know, whereas some sec territory places like, do not have as much competition as Mizzou does. So I think, you know, that factors into it as well, but. Yeah. And um, one thing, last, last thing is I think you can kind of compare Missouri to of what they could be to Ohio state. If you think about it, Ohio state, obviously shout out Cincinnati, Cincinnati's good right now, but Ohio state is the premier college program in the state of Ohio and the state of Ohio has many uh, metro areas, Toledo, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, where no matter where you go, Ohio state is the premier program in the state. And I think Missouri should try and, you know, model that. Whereas, you know, they have more of an uphill climb because, Cleveland is very Ohio, whereas Kansas City is Kansas and Missouri and St. Louis is right. Missouri, Illinois. But I think like that's a good model for Missouri to try and market themselves as like we are the premier program in the state. And also we're the only program really in the state. And so right. maybe, maybe that kind of approach um, helps them grow their brand. Because what's their biggest competition in state in terms of another college? Nothing, right? Nothing. Missouri State, which is actually a good basketball uh, baseball school, but right. So I mean, it's wide open for them. I think they're in prime position to to really do some damage. Um, 
But the whole thing with like St. Louis also like, you know, being as close as it is to Illinois and like, you know, Luther, their new commit, Luther Burden being from Illinois. It's just kind of weird to see like East St. Louis is Illinois. And when you think of like Illinois, you don't like, you think of just like Chicago and up North and like, and they need to attack like the lower half of, of Illinois, start pulling recruits uh, from over there as well. So, but you know, to their credit, they are nationally the 14th best recruiting class for 2022. And, uh, and last year they were 27th, which is both some pretty solid numbers. So, uh, you know, they're getting there. They're, they're getting there. It's going to take them a little bit, but they're, I don't think they're as far off as, uh, as some might think. I think another cool little nugget as well is last year, they pulled a four star that is from the same high school as Luther Burden um, in the previous cycle. And he, he's also a wide receiver. So um, good stuff there. I think they, I think they might be building something. Um, oh, and I just noticed this as well. They have a quarterback, Tyler, Tyler Mackin. Uh, he's also from East St. Louis in last year's class. He was a, a basically a four-star quarterback. So looks like they're stacking these guys up that have played together, uh, bringing them all down to Columbia together. And maybe, you know, maybe they get some built and uh, start making some noise. Shout out, shout out Missouri, shout out Columbia, shout out Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> Exactly. Cool. Well, let's move on here to uh, college football games from this past weekend. Uh, yep. Our the game that we kind of identified that we talked about the most was uh, you know the matchup between UTSA and UTEP. And uh, really, the only thing I want to mention from this game is that UTEP's uniforms were absolutely awful in this game. Uh, they were kind of like Tennessee Volunteers orange, but like a shade, worse. shade worse, and they looked like puke. Um, UTSA cleaned up nice in this game, wasn't really competitive, but the fact that I had enough interest to actually tune into this game for a quarter, uh, I think says something about, uh, you know, the overall attractiveness of a game like this on a, uh, on a Saturday. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Do you have anything else to add to this game? Uh, no, I just think, you know, both teams are, are, are up and coming and I would like to see a better uniform matchup the next time they, uh, they play each other. So I, I think UTSA has the, has such a great opportunity uh, using the road runners as like, you know, as their mascot, like they could come up with some of the coolest stuff um, in terms Absolutely. of branding and you combat like, uh, like a great choice of branding with uh, an emerging college football program and you have now an exploding school. So um, I'd love to see it. So yeah. that's basically all I got. Yeah. And they're, they're uh, a young enough program to actually afford to be able to do a rebrand. Whereas what you just said, Missouri should like Missouri is a historic team. And if you want, if uh, they wanted to rebrand that team, it would be met with a lot of opposition, but UTSA could actually and uh, do some redesign. Something else right. I noticed about both of these teams is that their their color palette is the same. It's blue and orange. So mm-hmm. maybe UTSA moving up to the AAC, uh, they incorporate some different designs, different colors, different uh, aspects. But moving on from uh, Tennessee Volunteers puke uniforms to actual Tennessee Volunteers uniforms, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky from this weekend, uh, 48-45 barn burner that the Volunteers won uh, Hendon Hooker totally balled out um, again. Yeah, again, the uh, the Volunteers were totally destroyed in time of possession. They only held the ball for 13 minutes, 52 seconds, compared to 46 by Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky also outgained them 612 to 461. But uh, ultimately, Tennessee's explosiveness uh, set them apart in this game, and uh, they put themselves in a position to win uh, through long touchdown plays uh, and a timely pick six. Um this was really the most interesting game of the weekend to me. Obviously, we can talk about uh, what Purdue did to Michigan State, but uh, this is a really interesting result to me just because, um, you know, it was an upset. Uh, you know, obviously, Kentucky was ranked in the first CFP rankings, but, uh, yeah, this was just – this was very uh, interesting. And, yeah, Hendon Hooker, again, showing that maybe he is a top uh, – quarterback to consider uh in our in our pick six yeah no 100 i mean every week it seems that uh i log on twitter and i see one more tweet about how hen and hooker could be a draftable quarterback 
uh, like the conversation is growing around him as the season progresses. And um, I don't think that even Virginia Tech fans ever would have thought that he would have gone to Tennessee and been able to uh, work his way into having a draft stock. But if he keeps this up, you know, through the rest of the season, you know, there's a scenario where he could very well put himself in a good position to actually being drafted, um, especially combining that with like a good pro day and everything. I think it'd be really cool. But this game was awesome. Uh, I got to watch this game while I was at a bar, uh, at like a college bar in Mizzou. Uh, we were out and, and uh, I saw this game in the background basically the whole time. It was on at like every bar. It was like it seemed to be like the premier game that everybody wanted to watch at night. Um, but I think personally, I believe that Tennessee played a better game. Um, I think Kentucky just dink and dunk throughout the whole game. That's why, you know, they had the ball for so much longer, but Tennessee's offense is so much fun to watch. Like it's just big play after big play after big play. They're throwing, throwing it deep. And, um, I really hope Hendon Hooker actually does make it to the NFL because I just his arm, the way he throws the ball, like actually works really well. And I think he could, he could definitely go to the next level. Yeah, we could kind of sub in Hendon Hooker for uh, all these other evaluators that have Malik Willis going high. Um, yep, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> but uh, what's interesting to me about this Tennessee team is, you know, obviously the last since, you know, since we've been following the sport, we've seen a lot of coaching turnover at Tennessee, a lot of drama related to coaching turnover at Tennessee. Um you know, I think it's too early to determine if Josh Heupel is the guy, but I think it's really good to see that his offense is showing proof of concept so quickly because I think that's one of the most powerful recruiting tools that a new staff can utilize moving forward as they try and attract uh, high school recruits, but also transfers. Uh, We Spencer Rattler might be coming into the portal and uh, Josh Heupel as a former Oklahoma quarterback, you know, maybe, maybe that's the connection and that helps. uh, That'd be very cool. Very Especially cool. Hunt Hooker is gone after one year because yeah. uh, as, as we, as you've talked about on your Virginia Tech podcast uh, with Gerard Evans, if you have the opportunity to go, you go. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, get your money when you can. Go, yep. Go get your money. So I think that's kind of the situation that Hendon Hooker is going to be in, but just the Josh Heupel thing is interesting to me because obviously Scott Frost left uh, UCF after their undefeated season and Josh Heupel comes in. And in his time at UCF, it, they kind of, they, they declined in wins every year since he had been there. And all of a sudden, you know, Danny White gets hired as the AD at Tennessee. And whether he was their first choice or not, he brings over his coach from UCF. And I just think like those combinations kind of made this look like a really unsexy hire, but I think it's showing that proof of concept early. And I think it shows you that sometimes those unsexy hires are what you need for a program that are used to chaos more than they are consistency. I think that's right. Obviously like there it's uh, an offensive guy can only be so unsexy if his offense is doing that. But I just think it maybe, maybe this is the kind of guy that Tennessee needs and not like a Lane Kiffin or, mm-hmm. a, or a Dan Mullen type or somebody that's going to win the press conference. Like maybe this is what you need. So I'm, I'm really, yeah. I'm intrigued uh, by Tennessee. Yeah. I, I want to see what, what happens, you know, with their, with the quarterbacks that they get next and, and how they transition to the next phase of their offense. Um, Cause it's, you know, like I said before, like they're so entertaining to watch and, you know, this kind of reminds me of the first season that Justin Fuente was at uh, Virginia Tech because their offense was just like this, just like so explosive and good. Um, and you just have to hope that it's not just the quarterback that's making that happen, that it's actually schematically that that schematically it's helping the quarterback do what he's doing. So um, I think that's the case here with Tennessee, I think schematically and and from a coaching perspective, they're actually implementing a scheme that's going to last. Um, so I'm excited to see where they take it. Um, whereas on the contrary, like it was all Gerard Evans at, at Virginia tech that first year. And he made the coaches look exponentially better than they actually were. So, um, like what I'm seeing, hopefully it keeps it up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to talk about Tennessee here in a little bit. I guess we could talk about them now. Um, cause this is, we're already talking about them here, but, uh, Georgia is going to Tennessee this weekend. 
and Georgia has demolished everybody that has been put in front of them. They're the number one team in the country, but based on what we've talked about and uh, Tennessee's explosiveness, I'd like to put, I'd like to put the Bulldogs on upset alert this weekend. I think if, I think if they're going to have a hiccup, I think it's going to happen against a team like this that can score fast, score on their first play from scrimmage um, and um, make this Georgia defense uncomfortable. And I'm sure that the atmosphere at Neyland is going to be probably the toughest environment that Georgia's played at. You know, they've those early, those early season games against Arkansas and Kentucky that uh, were ranked versus ranked matchups. Those were both at Athens. Um, And the, the Florida game was obviously in Jacksonville and that was a neutral site game. And Florida fans were probably not too confident in their team in that game, Mm -hmm. but this is shaping up to kind of be, I think, the spot where if it's going to happen, I think it's going to happen here. And that's not to say that I believe Georgia's going to lose a game this year, but, you know, I just think. Yeah. I mean, we, we haven't seen Georgia's offense play from behind and like imagine a situation where Tennessee gets the ball to start the game. They just throw a bomb, boom, 7-0, uh, big play. Georgia's offense comes out and they're down and they're just flustered like they don't know what to do and Stetson Bennett doesn't look good they kick it back and Tennessee goes up 14-0 and then all of a sudden you're seeing Georgia from a different perspective than we've seen them all year Um, and then you factor in their little quarterback controversy that they have going on and I think this game could get very interesting very fast so um, every week there seems to be wild stuff happen that we don't expect and this is what I'm throwing darts at right now thinking that it might happen. Yeah, absolutely. And the the model for consistency in college football is obviously Alabama. And Tennessee went to Alabama and played them pretty close, and they were able to hit on those explosive plays. I think Hendon Hooker had another long bomb touchdown pass that he mm-hmm. pretty early in the game that kind of made this game a little uncomfortable for Alabama. But, um, you know, Georgia's number one team in the country. That's great. But we – if it's Alabama, I'm not – I'm not – I don't have any faith in Tennessee in this game, but because the number one team is not Alabama, I got, I I'm, I'm not so sure. And that's yeah. just, that's just to say like Georgia's only been number one for a few weeks. We're not quite used to them being in this spot. And right. This, this I think will be their biggest test because as we saw elsewhere in college football over the past weekend, um, Alabama had a much larger test than expected against an LSU team. That is an LSU team i suppose uh and uh ohio state was uh playing uh a pretty close game with nebraska so uh what are your takeaways from these uh close scores uh close calls with uh what we believe to be college football playoff contenders yeah so so let me start with the nebraska game because when i was at mizzou watching the mizzou georgia game you know we had a we got like this bar watching it during the day eating some burgers and the mizzou georgia game was on basically like every single tv and then there was like two TVs that had the Ohio State Nebraska game on. And I was just like turning my neck sideways watching the Ohio State Nebraska game. And, you know, I really thought that in the second half, uh, Nebraska played a better game than Ohio State. And I think their players wanted it more than Ohio State. And I and like the atmosphere was unreal, too. Like, I mean, obviously it wasn't even there, but on TV, it looked awesome. Um, the fans and everything was really cool. And they had two chances, you know, those two fourth down plays that they chose to kick a field goal. Cause they were only down six instead of seven. Um, so they were like, you know, we'll cut it and then, and then play from there. But, you know, it, it's just, you got to think that at some point, Scott Frost has to be able to get one of these games. Like how many one score games do they have to lose? Uh, you know, before yeah. it's like, come on, man, like, yeah, gotta win one of these, like, I mean, you know how much juice that would give a program like this if they could have like won that game this past weekend? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I was kind of scoreboard watching this. Uh, I tuned in when Nebraska was driving. Uh, I, I forget. Obviously, the score was close, but uh, they weren't able to punch it in and they line up for a field goal and they miss it. And just, you know, the air in the stadium, it's just these mistakes after mistakes, miscues mm-hmm. on all sides of the ball. And it's like you're so, so close. And you, you, you like, you look back at it. Like Nebraska, if they win the games that they played close in, this team would be a top 10 team because yes. we, could be, we could be looking at wins at Oklahoma and against Michigan and Ohio State at home. Like that, that's a playoff resume. 
Like, yeah, that's more it, than a playoff it, resume than almost any team. Absolutely. Like this this team like could be in the playoff consideration if a couple plays go their way. And I think that's just it's insane to talk about this team the way that we are right now, just because like they they have outscored their Big Ten opponents. Did you see that stat? Mm-hmm. That was floating around. Yeah. Um, Nebraska's actually outscored their Big Ten opponents, which is just a ridiculous stat for a team that's like one and six, I think, in the big in their in their conference. So um I think if anybody's gonna turn it around, it's gonna be Scott Frost. It's tough right now, but hopefully this Nebraska fan base is patient with him. Like I feel like if you blow it up and fire him, you're not gonna get better. You're yeah, really I like, agree. It's the same kind of question with Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. That's the question of like, okay, if you fire him, who are you gonna bring in? Right. So I just like give it some time and I think it's going to work out. I, you know, I, I think this team plays with a ton of heart and, and I think the fan base is ridiculous. Like one of the best fan bases in college football. Um, so I think they're going to figure it out, man. I, I just think, you know, they need another, another year. We say that every year, but I really believe that they need another year. Uh, get Adrian Martinez out of there. Uh, get somebody else in there because Adrian Martinez made one of the biggest mistakes in this game as well. Right. Um, I don't know if you saw the play, but it was like fourth and three. It was one of the fourth downs that they missed. And uh, they ran basically a mesh concept over the middle of the field. And one of the drag routes tight end was just butt naked, wide open. Uh, and he just overthrows him, like not even close, just overthrows him. And Agent Martinez just grabs his helmet and he's he's just clearly super upset and frustrated with himself. But it's like, you got to make that throw. Uh, you have to make that throw right there because you make that throw one, it might be a touchdown because there's nobody in front of them, but two, you get the first down and keep going. And if you score that drive, you have the lead against Ohio state. Right. You know, it's just like, let's just keep going and see what you can do. You know, see what Scott Frost can do. Don't, don't let them go yet. I think they fired their offensive line coach. And uh, I think it was their quarterbacks coach too, um, which is good. And then they re I think they restructured Scott Frost's contract or something. Uh, but good for them. I hope they keep them around. Yeah. Uh, I watched the tail end of the LSU Bama game. Uh, LSU pending the uh, success of a Hail Mary uh, could have won this game. Uh, why, why do you think this game was, this game was so close between an Alabama team that is still very good and an LSU team that has just had so much bad luck and turmoil this year? Well, I don't think LSU is a terrible football team. I think they're just poorly coached. You know, there's, they have a lot of talent on that team. You know, there's as much talent as basically anybody else in the, in the SEC. And when they want to play football, they can play some football. Um, and I think what happened this game is this is their biggest rival for a lot. And, and like they went into Tuscaloosa and, they just wanted it and their coach is getting fired. Their coach is leaving, but I feel like a lot of players love and respect him still, even though he's not going to be there next year. And I think they just played their hearts out for him and, and played as hard as they could. And they still fell short, but like, it's a good showing that you put on there. So I respect LSU for the way they played this game. Yeah. Same. I was uh, pretty surprised to see. I honestly thought Bama was going to come in and blow them out, but, uh, yeah. Good to see that this LSU team still has still has fight. I um, think I think Bryce Young's going through some growing pains as a young quarterback trying to be a superstar. Um, you know, I think he made a couple mistakes. He seems to think he's a little faster than he is. Um, and he'll drop back in the pocket and like he'll see pressure in his face, and then you'll see him like wait a half step longer than he should to leave the pocket, and he'll get sacked and ruin a drive. And I think that's just a product of him going from playing at matter day to playing at Alabama and playing basically the fastest defenders in college football. And you just, you have to leave faster than you leave in high school. And it's just, you know, he's, this is his first year. So I think he's going to get better, but he needs to have more pocket awareness. And I think that's one of the things killing the Bama offense right now. Yeah, that's my, that's my take. Uh, I think the most uh, watched game i saw this weekend uh most of the the game that i watched the most of uh was uh purdue taking it to michigan state um taking it to him is a great word for this it aiden o'connell balled out david bell again balled out i think at this point david bell should be a first round receiver like 
I don't, he's probably not going to be the first receiver taken off the board, but I think it says something if you have your biggest games against your biggest opponents and like for the relic for the kind of for the heights that Iowa fell from, that's still a good defense. And obviously Michigan state has a good defense. And I think it's maybe we will have the final data point. um, Once we see David Bell against Ohio state this weekend, but, uh, I think he is 1000% of first round talent. And uh, I, I, I just, it's, it's nice to see talent like that emerge from a place like Purdue. Obviously they just had Rondell Moore, but right. um, he was a highly rated recruit and David Bell kind of had to like put his time in and emerge. So, yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, usually there's around four to five wide receivers drafted in the first round on, on any given draft. It's pretty, pretty standard for the most part. And if you look at the board, you know, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, that's pretty much a given. Traylon Burks, another first-round wide receiver. Drake London was looking like a first-round receiver, but he just got hurt, and that might hurt his draft stock. So there might be another slot there. Um, then you have Jahan Doxson uh, from Penn State. Might be a first-round pick. He's still fringe just because of his production. And then John Mechie, George Pickens, and they have David Bell. Uh, I think David Bell, David Bell is going to jump George Pickens. Uh, because of his injury. And I think he might even drop Mech- I mean, jump Mechie as well. So um, I think there's a good chance you'll see David Bell in, in the 20s, maybe maybe late, uh, maybe early 30s and in the uh, early second round. So it's kind of where I'm slotting him right now. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, any other games, uh, big takeaways from this weekend? Uh, Virginia Tech had a horrible showing on Friday night against Boston college. Uh, they completed only one pass in the first half one. Uh, absolutely terrible. Justin Fuentes on his way out a couple more weeks of enduring and it's over with. So it's my only takeaway. <laughs> cool. And that that's basically all I got for, for recaps. Cool. Uh, do we want to move to the pick six? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Who's, who's pick is it? I think you've got the Excel sheet. So I'm really hoping that, uh, I do have the Excel sheet, but you have the first pick because I remember last week I did it. Oh man, this is tough. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think. Imagine actually, imagine being an NFL team and having to pick, and you're getting paid, and there's billions of dollars at stake, and you have to choose between Matt Corral and Malik Willis. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean. Even if you get the pick wrong, you're going to get paid a lot of money, as uh, the uh, Oakland Las Vegas Raiders can uh, can point out. But, yeah, <laughs> my first pick, I will hold. I will hold uh, fast, and I will take uh, Matt Corral here. Okay, um, pretty standard. I don't think that's going to change unless unless an up and coming player makes makes it worth it. So uh, two, I'm going Kenny Pickett. Um, I think he's been consistent enough to, to warrant that. And then three, Sam Howell. Um, he's been playing a little more consistently in the second half of the season. And I, and I think uh, his draft stock is going to hold steady enough for a, uh, for a first round pick. Uh, with my next pick, I'm going to take Sam Hartman. Uh, the two Sams balled out this past weekend. Uh, North Great Carolina, game. Yeah. North, North Carolina, Wake Forest, uh, both of them balled out. Um, I watched it when Wake was up big and I did, went and did other stuff. And I was shocked to see that, um, that North Carolina came back and won this game. But Same. Uh, I, the Sam Hartman is really a prospect that I feel like, I feel like he should be in the same boat as Kenny Pickett mm-hmm. in terms of like, it, it's the same deal. Kenny Pickett's been at Pitt forever and he's suddenly like, supposed to be a top draft prospect so why can't you know sam hartman like yeah. he's, he's he's throwing the talented receivers he's operating um i guess complicated offense like why why not so i i'm i'm all on uh the sam hartman train obviously uh john wolford was at wake uh, and he he was he started an nfl game last year <laughs> so there is a little bit of precedent for uh wake forest quarterbacks in the nfl but uh yeah i'm gonna take sam Hartman. okay um and then with my fifth pick i'm gonna go uh let's see here. i'm gonna go carson strong at five 
Uh, I just think the the arm talent and you know and his size and uh, and strength I think is gonna gonna shine through come draft season. Um, so gonna hold hold strong Carson Strong. Yeah, and then with my last pick, uh, I'm gonna take Malik Willis here. Um, Hedden Hooker was right there. Uh, that that is true. I, I forgot about Hedden Hooker. I was just focused on not taking Des Ritter here. I feel like uh, in recent weeks, obviously Cincinnati has kind of failed to separate from their uh, from their AAC opponents. And Des Ritter had a really bad play at the end of their game that yeah. almost lost them the game. And I kind of want to just drop him in this just with that, like, decision-making alone. Um, but I'll roll with Malik this week. I'm going to – I want to see how Hendon plays against Georgia, and then I think he should be squarely in this discussion while, once that game happens. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, so that concludes our pick six. Now we on to the preview of next week. Um, what are you looking at first from this next week of college football? So I think, like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I think really the big game that sticks out to me outside of Georgia Tennessee is actually Texas A and M at Old Miss, and that's a that's a game seven p.m. I'm wondering if this game could secretly be like the game for the West, really, because mm-hmm. Alabama looks very vulnerable, looks very capable of dropping another game. And if Bama were to lose two, then I, there's not a, there's not a playoff simulator for college football where you can click buttons and see what happens. But I feel I, like A&M or I think A&M would slot into that spot in Atlanta. So obviously Old Miss was, we talked about earlier in the year that they kind of got the larger test from Bama. Then a mm-hmm. fell off the radar and um, maybe Alabama overlooked them. But I think this game is interesting because I think the winner of this game is in a very good position to go to Atlanta to face Georgia if Alabama were to trip up again. I agree. Um... I think it's kind of wild that Ole Miss is actually favored in this game. Yep. Um, I would I would say from my perspective that Tamu is 100 percent the team to pick. So um, a little bit interesting to me to see that. But uh, I completely agree. I think that's a very interesting game. Um, do you have any? What other What other games you got? Uh, well, one game that we will not be previewing because it won't be happening this weekend is uh, USC Cal. I'm reading uh, right now. Uh, the game has been postponed uh, due to COVID-19. I'm assuming that game was supposed to be played this weekend, but uh, you know, Cal had some, has had some issues. Uh, they were down a lot of players last week and that led to Arizona getting their first win in many, many games. I think it was 20, but um the other game that I'm interested in is obviously we kind of talked about it. Purdue is going to Ohio state. Um, I think there's no way Purdue is able to put it together like they have against Iowa and Michigan state, at least not two weeks in a row. There's like, there's no way. Um, but what I will say is obviously we talked about David Bell being a number one receiver. Maybe this game is kind of like the Indiana Ohio state game last year where, Indiana was able to kind of go blow for blow with them. Like the, their offense was, was humming and Ohio state being the better team scored one more touchdown than them. So that's the kind of game that this is maybe Purdue is unless Purdue comes out flat, Purdue should be riding some sort of momentum after their win last week. And, uh, but the thing is, is Purdue never rides momentum. No. Any time that they gain some sort of traction, uh, it's over with. So I think there is a scenario that Ohio State comes out and blows the brakes off for Purdue this week um, because I think it's hard for Purdue to just put it back-to-back weeks. I think Purdue's like the, the, the team that always just sneaks up on other people. But I think when they're in your, when they're in your face, uh, and as Ohio State knows full well that like they just beat Michigan State, Ohio State just almost lost to Nebraska, uh, I think they're going to take the house to them this week honestly. And, uh, I think, I think you could very well see an Ohio state blowout. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other game that I want to mention here 
two games at noon, actually. Uh, Oklahoma is going to Baylor, and Michigan is going to Penn State. Uh, as a Michigan fan, I'm glad that this is not Penn State's whiteout game. I'm glad that Penn State kind of uh, fell off fell off so that this game is actually at noon instead of like 7 8 p.m but uh that being said michigan could easily lose this game and uh i think i think baylor is really going to be oklahoma's biggest test of the year too so you can see um two top teams go down in the noon window but um i think this is going to be an interesting test for both teams and i think it's going to gauge it's going to help us uh, gauge the pecking order. I think these are both going to be really good resume games for the, for the committee to evaluate these teams on. I think these are going to be really good. Like if I think I agree, there's a, there's a lot to debate with the college football rankings, but I think based on the results of this game, you're going to be like, okay, I can see why the committee ranked this team there based on the outcomes of these games. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, this, the line for this game is even just across the board. I mean, I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen here. Uh, like just, I don't know. It's just Michigan is kind of flat when they lose games and come out against teams like Penn state. So um, I expect this to be a game that ends in the twenties, 24 to 27 seems like the perfect score for this game to end at um, excited for it as well. But honestly, the noon slot to me is, is where some of the best games are at this weekend. So uh, another solid one, Mississippi state at Auburn. Um, I think, I think this is where Mississippi state kind of falls off expecting Auburn to, uh, to win this one pretty handedly. So um that's really it. Is there what other games this weekend are you are you eyeballing? That's that's really it. Um, North Carolina UNC is going to pit on Thursday night, so I don't think a lot of people are going to watch that game. But that could be an explosive game between <laughs> two first round quarterbacks, I guess. Yes. Um, weird, weird, weird when you say it that way. But um, that could be an interesting watch. But other than that, uh, I'll just kind of run through some games in the. Uh, in the group of five here. Oh, Notre, Notre Dame at Virginia, I think is kind of interesting. Um, oh, I didn't even notice that game. Yeah. Uh, kind of interesting there. Um, not really sure what's going to happen, but if Virginia's defense was any better than they are, I would expect Virginia to win this game, but because, because they're as bad as they are, um, I think, Ohio, I think Notre Dame is going to, going to figure it out. But uh, I think Brandon Armstrong is going to blow the brakes off of this Irish defense. So that's going to be fun to watch. But that's pretty much my only analysis of this game. Um, yeah. Also, in other news, uh, Miami is playing Florida State, and both teams are basically as irrelevant as they come. Um, so Miami, well, that's well, cool. Well, Miami's new quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke. Yes. Uh, He's could actually Miami, good. But could Miami be the team kind of like the uh, – uh, like the uh, the Sam Darnold team where, oh, man, if we would have started this guy from the beginning, maybe we would be in the playoff. Or I feel like there's one of those teams every year where they're highly ranked, hyped yeah. up, lose way too many games, lose enough games at the beginning of the year to completely fall off the radar, but then they catch fire late because they made a quarterback change. And I feel like maybe that's Miami because I think they're undefeated with him starting, which is which is yeah. cool. Let me give you the past five game scores for Miami because this is where it gets really, really weird. So uh, five weeks ago, they lost to Virginia 30 to 28. Then they lost to UNC 45 to 42. Then they beat NC State 31 to 30, and they beat Pitt 38 to 34, and then they beat Georgia Tech 33 to 30. So literally almost all of their games in recent memories have been within four points uh, or less. And uh, they are they could have been five and zero over the last five, and they could have very well been zero and five over the last five as well. So yeah, uh, so they're saving Manny Diaz's job, and it's kind of going to be one of those things where. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke is going to come back next year and it's gonna be like, Oh, Miami's back. Miami's gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna figure it out with Tyler Van Dyke. And then he's going to be the guy that Derek King was and the cycle continues where he's going to get hurt. Some other guy's going to come in, save yep. Miami's day. And then yep. it's just a repeating cycle of off season hype for the hurricanes. Yeah. Didn't hear any hint of, uh, Miami distaste in that, in that sentence. <laughs> uh, for the for the group of five, uh, 
UCF and SMU are playing. I guess that's the game in the AAC. Um, UNLV won a game this past week. Um, so yes. good, for, good, for, uh, good for the Rebels. But uh, I think the game of the week in the Mountain West is Nevada at San Diego State. Um, Sunbelt don't really have a highlighted game, but uh, shout out to Sunbelt for kind of winning realignment. Um, yeah. They added Old Dominion, Marshall, and Southern Miss. And they were just kind of able to bump up James Madison to the Sun Belt and just kind of like, yep, we're just adding them. And I feel like usually when when teams come up to the FBS, it's more of like a event, like, hey, we're just going to – I think the fact that they were able to add an established FCS program as part of a group – is it, it's kind of taking the attention away from James Madison, but I think that's good. Like it, it, it's, it's nice when you can, that when that can be just one of your additions, because I, I right. the Sun Belt is definitely the winner in realignment. And then uh, in conference USA, the game that I have highlighted here, Charlotte's going to Louisiana tech, Louisiana tech is kind of just, I don't know. You can really debate over what teams in conference USA are the most screwed. But Louisiana Tech's in the tough spot. So mm-hmm. I agree. And then in the MAC, um, I guess the game is Kent State at Central Michigan. Yeah, um, which is a wild game as a Central Michigan uh, current student because uh, there is absolutely no buzz about there being a game tomorrow. I haven't heard a single thing about people talking about there's a game at Kelly Shorts tomorrow. Um, so I don't think the student population even knows what's going on. Well, well, my next question was what it was like to have Maxion back, and that's my that that was that was the answer. So yeah, there you go. That's the answer. There you go. Uh, you ready to close the book on college and jump yep. over to NFL? Let's do it. A right. sad week for me. Let's get it started. Very very, very sad week. Uh, started off. We're gonna we're gonna transition from uh, our main point. In the in college football was talking about Big Orange and uh, the NFL. We're, we're going to talk about two orange teams in the state of Ohio. Uh, Cincinnati and Cleveland played uh, their first game of two this year. It was a 41-16 to win by the Browns. Uh, huge performance for the Browns after a 15-10 to loss to Pittsburgh. That was just kind of a really boring, underwhelming game. Yep. Uh, I'm sorry, but what are yeah. your thoughts? What, what, are your, what are your takeaways here? And were what what were actually not takeaways? What were your thoughts during the game? Like watching, kind of watching the Bengals unravel and watch the game get away from them. What what were your thoughts in the moment? And then what are kind of your right now thoughts on this game? Yeah, so you know, in the moment, I was in the middle of a cornfield driving back from Missouri, and uh, my internet was so bad that I was watching the cornfield half the time because it wouldn't load on my screen. Um, so conveniently. What, what happened is as the Bengals were driving down that first possession, um, I was able to watch that. Ouch. And then uh, and then it cut out and I came back and we were down all of a sudden 7-0. No. And I was like, what just happened? And I'm getting texts from my dad and he's like, oh, there was just a pick six. I was like, cool. Uh, you know, when I went back and watched the pick six play, um, I thought it was just a hair away. You know, I think I think I, I don't really like throwing those balls, especially where it was uh that that little like zig route where the wide receiver breaks in and then breaks out and then you throw outside shoulder i think if you ever put that ball a little inside like it's just a pick six every time so but the whole game you know i I think the Bengals were a couple plays away and what it really came down to was poor tackling on defense and then just missing opportunities on offense you know there was a couple plays that jamar chase i'm sure wanted to have back uh some deep balls that he missed and I think in previous games, he makes those deep, he, he's, he has made those deep ball plays and he blows games open. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, when they're not going his way and he doesn't make the play, then you're stuck in a bad position on offense. And I think more, t- more times, more often than not, he's going to make those plays and he doesn't. So um, I was sad in the moment. It's tough going from first place in the AFC, first place in the AFC North to then last place in the AFC North in the span of two weeks. Uh, losing to teams that when you look on your schedule should have been easier wins than they were so or easier wins and turns into turned into losses so not very happy but uh, by week now for the Bengals they're going to regroup and the Browns are now all of a sudden hot again 
uh, Wyatt Teller had a massive game, former Virginia Tech alum. Shout out him. He ended up getting paid today, uh, massive salary after having like six pancake blocks. Uh, absolutely unreal highlight film that looked very reminiscent of like all the old like Quentin Nelson films where he's just like blowing people over. Uh, so it's, it's cool, you know, that I'm a tech fan and Wyatt Teller is doing great in the league, but, uh, sucks that his highlights are just against my team, which is also unfortunate, but Browns are hot. And, uh, you know, they had all the drama around OBJ this past week, I waving him and, and, and there was just nothing good in the news about the Browns. And, you know, they flipped it around and, and blew out their in-state rivals. So, uh, they got a lot going for them right now. And I think DPJ is on his route too, to, uh, you know, fill that void that OBJ left behind. So those are yeah, kind of my thoughts. Absolutely. Um, the thing that I thought about in this game was, uh, it rem- this Cleveland win reminded me of, uh, their playoff win against Pittsburgh where they had kind of beat the, it, it, it was funny because they had beaten Pittsburgh in week 17 and it was kind of fluky. It was close and they needed that win to get into the playoffs. And it was kind of like, Oh, we're in the playoffs, but we mm-hmm. played Pittsburgh again. Like we're probably getting knocked out. And they jumped on the Steelers uh, 20 to nothing in the first quarter, 35 uh, to 10 lead at the halftime and uh, held on at the end to win. But it just goes to show you what happens when this Browns team gets fully, fully explodes mm-hmm. because it just shows you how much talent they have. And if they're able to put this type of result together consistently, there's really no team in the NFL that can beat them yep. if, if they're firing on all cylinders. And then obviously caveat there is that we rarely see this Browns team, but they have, they've assembled the talent to do this. Yeah, it's um, just a matter of consistency now for yep, them. Um, Nick Chubb is out with COVID at least for this week, uh, so that is a consideration moving forward. Um, but the, the AFC has kind of leveled out the last few weeks, and it's really anyone's league. Uh, for Cincinnati, remember they completely obliterated the Ravens three weeks ago, and we were kind of anointing them as like the big contenders in that division. So it's kind of funny that all of these interdivisional results are kind of one-sided blowouts where mm-hmm. it's ended up being kind of a misdirection on like the team that's winning, like, Oh, well, maybe they're the team or, Oh, maybe yeah. the Browns are the team. So the Browns can, as we've seen uh, with Cincinnati can come back down to earth as early as next week. So I guess we'll just kind of wait on it. But um, last thing I want to say about this game, I like that Baker had a good game. It was, just, I, I feel like it was totally, unfair for him to get dragged into the Beckham stuff the way that he was but I love Baker I love watching him and I think he plays a really good game that the city of Cleveland really responds well to I think he's really put the city on his back uh, a lot more than you can say for other quarterbacks Um, last week in the Pittsburgh game uh, when they were driving to uh, have an opportunity to take the lead uh, he ran for a first down. I think he took a huge hit and got right back up, and the crowd was just going nuts. And he was just egging him on, like raising his hands, like and like that play to me is just the kind of guy that he is. And um, you're not going to hear about that because uh, Jarvis Landry fumbled the game away a couple snaps later. But like in that moment, that play, it was so exciting. I was so mm-hmm. happy, so jacked, and like I just hope that this Browns team can have more moments like this where they can be celebrated because they had a good complete game. And uh, it just, I, I, I like when Baker plays well, because I feel like he is often blamed for this team's in, in, inability to produce. And maybe Beckham being gone is the distraction that they uh, needed to get rid of in order to improve. And uh, I that agree. Would, that'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is similar. I got similar vibes from this game from the first time or, it was the second time that the Bengals played the Browns last year because the second time they played them, uh, OBJ went down with an ACL injury on like the second play of the game. And uh, their offense was just so much better when he was hurt and he was out of the game. Like when he's not there, they just play so much better. And like going into this game, everybody was like, Oh, they don't have OBJ. Their offense is going to be worse. Uh, Baker's kind of hurt, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, I can see them just absolutely tearing us apart. And sure enough, definitely did um you know so 
Good stuff here. Um, I want to move forward a little bit because you said something interesting. The AFC is completely wide open now. And um, one of the big storylines that kind of wasn't really talked about as much as I thought it would have been was the fact that the Jags lost, the Jags beat the bills nine to yeah. six. Yeah. Um, and I want to make a little comparison to the way that the Bengals lost to the jets. Um, this is both of these games are similar in the fact that, you know, they were one, one win teams at the time. And you're thinking there's no way that these top tier AFC teams lose to bottom tier teams like this. Um, but the ways that it happened were just so much different. Like for in the Cincy game, uh, you know, the Jets basically had to score 36 points to beat the Bengals. And it was a back and forth game, high scoring. But in this game, it was a tale of two Josh Allens, one of them playing terrible and the other one playing phenomenal and having like one of his best games of his life. Uh, and the Jags holding the holding one of the most explosive offense in the league to only six points um, amid all the you know, urban Meyer bullshit and everything. So um, just shout out to Jags, you know, a good win for them. Terrible win for the, for the bills uh, when they had all the momentum in the world. So um, I, I just, you know, and I feel like the sports world just kind of like glossed over it because it's the Jags and the bills and they didn't really want to talk about it too much, but uh, yeah, just another wild game this weekend. Lots of wild games this weekend. Cowboys got blown out as well. So Yeah. Yeah, so uh, in the AFC, the pecking order has kind of been, uh, you know, the Chiefs at the beginning of the year, and then it was the Bills, and then it was the Ravens, and then it was the Bengals, and then it was the Chargers there for a minute, and then now I feel like it's the Browns, but it's also the Titans. Yeah. Uh, the Titans mm-hmm. had a, a very impressive win at uh, Los Angeles on Sunday night. Um, I didn't watch it, but I uh, obviously Derrick Henry's out at least for a significant portion of time. And I was kind of, I feel like a lot of people glossed over this one as well, just because, you know, Titans lost their best player, their whatever. Um, But so, right. So right now the teams in the AFC are the Titans and the Browns. So we'll have to see how long that lasts and, uh, who is the next team up in the AFC to kind of be the number one contender? Yeah. It's really the belt. You know, who's kind of, who's kind of hot right now that nobody's talking about because they were bad recently is the Steelers. Yeah. I didn't want to go there, but Steelers always do this thing. And I saw it come in. Like they're never going to be bad. Like they're going to win games. They find ways to win games. And, you know, we're talking about the Browns being hot. Well, guess who just beat the Browns Steelers last week. Yep. So don't be surprised if you end up seeing the Steelers like in heavy conversations uh, in the AFC in like a week or two, because it's coming. But that's pretty much it for the, for the untitled sports podcast. Well, this week it was the untitled Mizzou podcast. Uh, we'll be back with you guys next week talking more sports and uh, we're excited. I think this is, I think the, the NFL is shaping up to be extremely fun and uh, college football is looking very interesting as well as we move forward towards the playoffs. So catch you guys later.